This is an ABC podcast. This is the WA Country Hour with Joe Prendergast on ABC Radio WA. Hello, lovely to have your company this afternoon. Hope it's a good Monday at your place. Both parties involved in that class action over the 2011 ban of live exports to Indonesia were back in court today. And it's been, well, almost a month since the federal court ruled that that ban was unlawful. But there's more happening. So we'll just get the latest on what happened in court today shortly. And there's been a bit of discussion around where Grains Australia, that's that new grain organisation that was announced recently. There's some talk about where that should be based and some people are arguing that it should be housed here in WA. More on that story and some of those arguments for you soon. And Richard Hudson's been very busy collating all the rainfall data. He'll be along after 12.30 with quite a long rainfall list, which we really like to see. But, you know, I thought I might just steal his thunder a little and talk about rain first of all this afternoon. Tom Carmody farms northwest of Esperance at Cascade, which a fortnight ago, you might remember, it was actually declared water deficient by the state government. And for the Carmody's, this rain that they've had has come just in the nick of time. Uh, We had 15 mils at home uh, and 12.5 mils at Cascade. It's fantastic. Um, Yeah, It follows on nicely from a couple of smaller rains we had earlier in the month. So yeah, very good. It's been exceptionally dry uh, at Cascade. Um, there was recently a water deficiency announcement out there. But um, in terms of your season this year, what's it shaping up to be? Uh, we're total rainfall, we're a little ahead of last year, by actually by 47 mil. Uh, and that's pretty much all a rain that we had a little bit in January, but mainly end of February, March. So that hasn't contributed a lot to soil moisture. So the Crops are looking okay. They're not, yeah, not brilliant, but they're okay. So you keep getting these just little, little rainfall amounts. I mean, this one was over ten mils, which is a bit different. Do you get any runoff of that? Uh, on our key dam, which has got a like a beautiful gravel clay catchment, um, yeah, we'll get a little bit of runoff on that, but not on any of the others. Meanwhile, just north of Esperance at Beaumont, that cold front barely reached Phil Longmire's property and he reckons they could be facing their driest June ever. Pretty lean out this side of the world. Uh, We had between one and three and a half mils. I think we'll uh, go to our driest June ever. So we'll uh, certainly be looking forward to a wet July. And how are the crops looking at this point? Oh, they're hanging in there, but definitely... uh, uh, the next two to three weeks will be fairly critical to see how the season gets on. You know, once you hit this time of the year, everyone's always keen to see a bit of rain and a bit of positivity back into it. But um, you just hope that there's one decent one just around the corner. And how are your dams looking? You had any runoff? Yeah, no, that's one area we really are struggling. I think uh, that's pretty common right across the district and it's uh, going to be a problem going forward if we don't get a decent runoff rain. And so you haven't got much uh, in the tank, literally, for spray water? Oh, we're starting to buy water. We've got a couple of dams of 
water, but we're starting to buy more and more as we go forward if we don't uh, see a, a good double-figure runoff rain. Have you had many of those double-figure runoff rain events? Not really. Uh, we're probably lucky that we had a little bit in the summer, but uh, yeah, look, we haven't had a double-figure rain probably, oh, it'd have to be March now, so... Um, yeah, there definitely hasn't been any runoff since then. That's Beaumont farmer Phil Longmire speaking there to Emma Field. And just before Phil, we heard from Tom Carmody, who's at Cascade, just tipping out their rain gauges uh, this morning. Heading a little further north and out east of Perth now, Andrew Todd farms east of Dowran. And Andrew, you stayed home and, and watched the rain coming through yesterday. How did you go? Uh, we did quite well in the end, Joe. I did stay home and enjoy some time with the kids and take the opportunity to spend some um, time out of the tractor while the rain went through. And um, I was getting a bit disappointed because it seemed to be going um, to the southwest of us quite a bit during the day. But this morning has revealed five and a half at my house and anywhere from um, nine and a half to 15 across the rest of the farm. So very happy with that. Some pretty big variations in the numbers there. That seems to be the case for most people in in your area, but really across the state from what I'm hearing. Yep, I don't think that's really unusual though. It's um, it probably was a little bit of an unusual front. It didn't come through in a big band. It was quite scattered, but our gauges are often pretty variable. So from that perspective, it's not that surprising. So I would love to have had fifteen everywhere, but we're we're really happy with where we're at at the moment. And um, five and a half keeps things ticking along, and the majority of the farm getting more is fantastic. So no, we're very pleased. Yeah, it's really good to hear. How are things looking there from a crops perspective? Um, they're looking quite reasonable. We did have probably in the modern viewpoint a late start. There wasn't um, much of an opportunity to get any crop out of the ground prior to about the 23rd or 4th of uh, May, I think was our first reasonable rainfall event. So um, the majority of the crop went in dry. Cereals are now looking really good. They've grown quickly in this warm conditions and canola is uh, well established but um, and good plant numbers, but obviously starting that late and um, having been planted mid-April is not ideal, so that will rely on a, a kind finish, a cool finish, and hopefully some good falls in August and September to really ha- have any chance of doing better than average. But I think cereals are certainly looking average or better at this point in time here. And how much water is in the bank? Have you been hand-to-mouth or will this top that up a little bit? Uh, so back in the end of February, we had quite a severe weather event come through here and had 80 to 120 millimetres in a very short space of time, which has hopefully given us some subsoil moisture. It did come down very quickly and there was a lot of runoff and quite a bit of damage, but I'm hoping that we can we can draw on that later in the season. But other than that, we've had below average uh, April, May, June rainfall so far. But been going since it, since the rain started, as I said, around the end of May there, we've been going hand-to-mouth quite well. So um, the crop's never really been looking for a drink since it since it emerged so happy from that perspective but we'd love to get an above average month especially any of any of the next three to be above average would be would put us in really good stead I think yeah well we're certainly due so that'd be that'd be good hey one thing I wanted to get your thoughts on and I know it's anecdotal you don't have the data there but temperature you mentioned that there's been some warm days do you reckon that it's been warmer in May than what it usually is 
It certainly felt like it to me. Seeding did seem quite warm, um, and even the first couple of weeks of June. But I think winter's set in now. We have had a couple of um, very mild frost events in the last fortnight. But um, I think that's really what's made these cereal crops power away. They emerged in quite warm conditions and they grew very quickly, as did the weeds. So, yeah, been good growing conditions, I think, but winter's here now by the looks of things. One of the other things that you and and people in Darren are usually busy with is getting ready for the field days, which are usually on in August, but they're not happening this year, Andrew. So what's going on? Are you still as busy or are you having a rest? Uh, we, we're going to try and use the opportunity to um, do some site um, upgrades and, and some infrastructure uh, maintenance and improvements. So, yes, you're quite right. We, we did make the decision earlier in the year not to hold the event this year due to COVID-19. So that was um, a decision wasn't taken lightly and a very disappointing one. But we haven't got all of August back, put it that way. We're going to use some of this time that's available to us to try and come back bigger and better next year. So we're going to make some improvements to the site layout i'm just parked on the site now actually while we have a chat uh because i was in town when you called and um the site's been re-sown had a coldy trash in here and re-sowed some pasture species so we're not resting on our laurels we're looking to come back bigger and better next year and it's probably actually going to cost us a bit of money not to have the event this year and then also we're going to reinvest in it so we'll be really looking forward to the support of of uh, both our exhibitors and all our patrons when we come back bigger and better next year. We'll be needing that support. Yeah, that'll be crucial because really you're you're losing money not having it and then you're also spending money as well. So you yep, need to get those punters exactly right. back. Yeah, are you worried about that, whether people will say, oh, well, we'll just leave it now or what's the thought there? Oh, look, I won't lie. We've had conversations about it in the boardroom. I don't think we're worried. I just think... Yeah, the year off will probably be beneficial for us to to catch up on some of the things that have been on our on our list for a long time, but we don't seem to get a chance to to make happen when we've actually got to run an event. So no, look, I think the industry will support us when we come back next year in 2021. A lot of people really enjoy the the couple of days out at the field days, catching up, having a look at what's new, and. Um, and hopefully at that time of year, enjoying the weather and, and looking forward to harvest. We'll certainly be there. If I could put in a request, though, it would maybe be for a heater, if that's all right. A heater in yeah. the LJ Metcalf Pavilion. Well, yeah. we, we have a board meeting pretty shortly, so <laughs> we can, we'll see if we can get that on the list of to-dos. Well, somewhere, that'd be good. Andrew, thanks for talking to us on the Country Hour today. I'm really pleased you've had that rain, and fingers crossed there's more coming. Uh, we're really pleased as well. Thanks for having me, Joe, and um, all the best to everyone for the season. It's nice to see that there is a lot of uh, a lot of rainfall pushed through with this event. So be a lot of smiling farmers today. Good on you, mate. Thank you. Thanks, Joe. That's Darren Farmer, Andrew Todd there, and I'm interested to get your thoughts on mine and Andrew's uh, rough observations there. That May and probably the beginning of June were a bit warmer than usual. I'm wondering if that's been the case at your place or whether you've been rugging up. Andrew was saying that it is getting cold now, but he reckons it was a bit unusually warm and uh, that was good because they did have that later break, if you want to call it that, so that helped those crops get away. You can send me a text. The number to do that is 0448922604. Just pop your name on that text so... I know who you are. Be interested to hear what it's been like at your place.
you're with Joe Prendergast for the WA Country Hour on ABC Radio WA. 16 past 12, good to have your company this afternoon. And you, you might remember earlier this year, the Grains Research and Development Corporation, or GRDC, announced the formation of Grains Australia. The governing board of Grains Australia has not yet been appointed, but already there's a stoush going on. And that's about the future of the WA-based Australian Export Grains Innovation Centre, or AGIC. Emma Field has been trying to find out where this new national body is going to be based. After about a decade of negotiation, the grains industry this year finally decided a new body should be formed to take on industry good functions. Grains Australia will soon take over the roles performed by a number of existing grains bodies, such as Wheat Quality Australia, Grains Industry Association of WA and Grains Industry Market Access Forum. Grains Producer Australia Chairman Andrew Wiedemann explains what Grains Australia is being set up to do. The primary purpose of Grains Australia, Emma, is to uh, look after certain functions which essentially the whole supply chain benefit from, from us in the field to the uh, marketer at the other end. Uh, It's about creating value for the entire industry. Grains Australia will undertake market access activities, grain variety classifications and providing technical customer support. Now, technical support, market intelligence and testing grain products for end users is something WA-based AGIC has done for a number of years. The WA Agriculture Minister, Alana McTiernan, is worried Grain Australia could take over the valuable role AGIC plays. She also advocates the headquarters of Grain Australia should be in the West. We are particularly concerned that institutions like AGIC, which we as a state government fund 50%, is now under threat and there is talk of, of dismembering um, AGIC and um, putting uh, taking key of its uh, functions and putting them into Grains Australia, which we think will absolutely undermine the capability of AGIC. So they're talking about it just doing R&D. That's just not going to be a valuable contribution. AGIC works because it does market intelligence. It goes out there and develops an understanding of the market. It does its R&D in response to that market intelligence and then it goes out at the other end of the chain and promotes the products which they have, um, have developed. If you take those functions from them, the good work that AGIC has been doing over the last uh, few years will be lost. And we're very, very concerned about that. We export most of what we produce. That is quite unlike the other states. So the export-oriented activities must be based here in WA. And as I said, look, we'd love to have Grains Australia here. I mean, I'm sure the WA grains industry would love to have that centre here, but is the government willing to actually put any money other than just the accommodation to get those three agencies together, so Grain Australia, AGIC well, we, and potentially the department, in a sort of well, a grain we already have, We already half fund all AGIC's activities. So although AGIC does, for example, you know, provide services for um, the other states that do export, and we've indicated that we want to, keep funding AGIC at the level that we are continuing to fund it. And the problem is getting the um, the federal government through GRDC 
to meet us halfway. Um, to clarify, does that mean you'd be happy to uh, keep funding AGIC at the current level, but are you willing to put any additional money in to make sure we secure that headquarters of Grains Australia here in WA? Well, look, that, that hasn't been presented to us and we're not sure that we really should have to do this. After all, we are contributing something like 35 to 40% of the levy monies and we are getting something between 20 and 26% back. There is a great disparity there. Grain Producers Australia Chair Andrew Wiedemann says there will be changes and AGIC will be part of the restructure. AGIC will still have a very clear role and a very defined role around research uh, for the industry. One of the, the key aspects of course here is around collaboration in the industry. AGIC will still have a, a very defined role. One of the disappointing parts, I suppose, so back at the uh, Darren field days in, I think it was 2012 or 13, um, Terry Redmond was the Agricultural Minister of Western Australia. I was at the launch of the Australian Grains um, Export Innovation Centre. Uh, where they were to put aside 25 to $30 million to build a state-of-the-art facility to house um, AGIC in, in Western Australia. That has not happened, and uh, we are you know, concerned, I suppose, the current government uh, has an opportunity to really put the facility in place um, that we feel that the organisation befits, really, and the work that it's doing, and representing Australia in terms of its international connections with research, working with uh, visiting partners from around the globe, and obviously the work and extension work that they're doing. But Victorian farmer Andrew Wiedemann is no fan of the idea that Grains Australia's headquarters will be WA-based. On my personal opinion, if it is in Western Australia, I don't see how that will add value when the 90% of the work that's already done on those functions we're talking about are all done in the east. So clearly there is a role for Grains Australia more so based in the east, purely because of the transition of people that are involved in all of those functions currently. It's an interesting argument, isn't it? That's uh, Grain Producers Australia Chairman Andrew Wiedemann ending that report there from Emma Field. WA's Ag Minister Alana McTiernan has responded to the criticism about AGIC, saying the previous government backflipped on its promise to set up a new facility and she says Labor faced a significant deficit when they came into government. But Alana McTiernan does acknowledge a new AGIC facility is needed and says they are currently working on a business case for this. And she also says they'll invest more than $60 million dollars into grain R&D for the next four years. 23 past 12. Nice to have your company this afternoon. And heading north now where the Ord Valley irrigators say they're relieved that an ongoing fight with the state government over water allocation has been resolved. Now, the Ord Irrigation Cooperative has been in a dispute with the Department of Water and Environmental Regulation since 2015, and that was back when the department cut the OIC's water licence by about 30%. Now, on Friday, the State Administrative Tribunal ruled in the irrigators' favour, and it recommended that the water allocation be renewed at the original 335 gigalitre rate for a 10-year period. Irrigation Cooperative Chairman David Menzel says the decision means they can now look at growing their businesses instead of protecting it. Yeah, five years is a long time to be tangled up in legal proceedings. 
and we've had a couple of goes, so it's it's a huge relief. It means we can refocus now the business on, well, firstly, unfortunately, tidying up our legal bills, and secondly, we can start with a bit of security now about getting back and working on the business rather than just working on protecting the business. Do you have a dollar figure for what this has cost you? Approaching $4 million. So, you know, again, it's over a year's total income to our business. So I think what it, what it means is that now that we've got a decision, we can re-engage with the department and hopefully we can get ourselves in a position and hopefully work with the department so that this sort of thing doesn't happen to anyone else or ourselves into the future. That's Irrigation Cooperative Chairman David Menzel speaking there with Rebecca Nadge. And in a statement, the department said it acknowledged the decision and would uh, consider the tribunal's decision report. It'll be interesting to watch that space to see if anything uh, like an appeal or anything like that pops up. Now, if you're um, over the age of 50 and you're involved in the grain industry, uh, chances are you would have come across Bill Hewitt. He used to farm near Newdigate and unfortunately he passed away recently. Shortly, uh, just after news headlines and weather, you'll hear from a mate of his, Bob Ifler, and Bob's just got a bit to tell us about the role that his friend um, Bill Hewitt played in helping farmers all over Australia. Um, it's a, a lovely story. Looking forward to hearing that one and sharing that with you after 12.30 today. But staying with the North and legal proceedings, it's been almost a month since the federal court made its historic ruling that the live export ban to Indonesia in 2011 was unlawful. Now, both parties involved in the class action were back in court this morning To tell us what happened, Matt Brand spoke to Tracy Hayes, who has been a facilitator on behalf of the cattle industry. The court made formal orders um, giving effect to the judgment. So it confirmed uh, the details as we understood them on the 2nd of June. So firstly, the court ordered um, the payment um, to the Brecks that can be made today. So essentially that's uh, binding on the Commonwealth. They also, and, and, did, and did I hear the figure, Tracy? It's it's a figure of more than two point nine million dollars. That's correct, two point nine three six million dollars, which is a hundred percent of the amount that we we argued um, yeah some time ago now. And then the other part. Sorry, I interrupted. Yeah. So um, the second matter today was that all costs will be paid back. So there'll be a process that will be worked through. Uh, between our party and the Commonwealth in in relation to the costs. So that's good news uh, for the Australian Farmers uh, Fighting Front. Um, the third important piece of information is that the clock starts ticking um, in relation to uh, an appeal. Should the Commonwealth decide to appeal, that will need to be um, lodged by the 27th of July. So uh, the clock starts ticking on that tomorrow. So uh, yeah, a, a couple of things, Tracy. For cattle producers or any rural businesses who felt they suffered because of that live export ban, how long do they have left to be able to sign up to the class action and be eligible for some compensation? 
So there's a couple of important steps, uh, if I can just quickly make those, Matt. Um, they talked about a figure of 88,000 head, and this is important for listen, listeners to understand that um, the, the judge determined based on the evidence before him um, in relation to the Brett case that at least 88,000 head could have gone through um, to Indonesia uh, based on the evidence before him. So that's the base figure, not a maximum. So once um, members of the class action's evidence and details are worked through, if the numbers exceed 88,000 head that, um, you know, we believe weren't able to go to Indonesia as a result of the minister's decision, we are now able to go back to court um, so it's it's open to us to go back and argue that there was, in fact, greater capacity than 88,000 head. So that's a really important point. It's not capped at 88,000. It's at least 88,000. Mm. The, um, the second important point that um, is confirmed and binding on the class is that um, the judge determined that a reasonable estimate of the price um, was $2.15 per kilo for steers and $1.95 per kilo for heifers. So that price is also locked in. Um, so in relation to a date, uh, we are to be um, back in court by the 20th of August with a draft um, form of notice, which will essentially um, will be terms of the class um, writing instructions for how the class is going to operate into the future. Uh, and the immediate next steps will be that we'll be communicating publicly via all forms of communication, advertising um, on the radio and in the paper and across social media, um, what the deadline for the closing of the class will be. So that's yet to be That's determined. still to come, right. Still to come. So there's still time. And my advice to listeners would be, if they feel that they suffered a loss as a result of the decision by the minister to get your papers in order, prepare your file of evidence and um, and be ready to go. Tracy Hayes there. She's the former CEO of the NT Cattlemen's Association and she's the facilitator in that live export class action. Industry will no doubt be watching closely for the Commonwealth to appeal. We just heard Tracy go through there. It's got until July 27 to do so, so we'll keep an eye on that date. 29 to 1, Ali Colvin's got news headlines for us. Hi, Ali. Hi, Joe. The spike in coronavirus cases in Victoria is continuing with 75 cases recorded overnight. The new cases are overwhelmingly in hotspot suburbs and the government's warned the numbers will climb further before they drop. Six schools have been closed because of positive tests. WA's Chief Health Officer says the state could wind back its eased coronavirus restrictions if people don't follow physical distancing rules. The state entered phase four of its roadmap to easing restrictions at the weekend, which included reopening nightclubs. The Prime Minister says the government's still considering whether to challenge a ruling that a ban on live cattle exports to Indonesia was invalid. The coalition has 28 days to declare whether it will appeal against a federal court decision which found the snap ban in 2011 was reckless and malicious. The Commonwealth's been ordered to pay substantial damages as part of a class action filed by cattle producers. Thanks, Joe. More news at one. Thank you, Ali. And from the uh, newsroom... 
to the Bureau of Meteorology. Austin Watkins is with us. Austin, there's been a bit of rain around. What's uh, the next few days looking like for the Southwest Land Division? Hi, Joe. Uh, yeah, there certainly has been right through the Southwest Land Division and, and the adjacent districts as well. So we're seeing that currently, and um, that's associated with in the, in the wake of a cold front which is moving through the southeast of the state. So by tomorrow, um, that front will be well off uh, to the east and, and affecting um, South Australia, but uh, we'll see a general westerly flow in the wake of that and a ridge of high pressure will develop over the uh, the central parts of the state. So we'll see showers uh, continuing um, right throughout the southwest land division um, with that south with that westerly flow. But that those showers were mainly seen in those uh, western and southern parts. So uh, through the inland parts, we may just see some isolated shower activity, but uh, generally uh, very light falls associated with that. So yeah, the best will be in those uh, western and uh, southern districts. And then uh, during Wednesday, we'll see that ridge of high pressure, which was through th- central parts of the state. That'll migrate towards uh, the south coast. And uh, we'll see the shower activity contract uh, even further just to, towards the, the west coast and along uh, the south coast as well. Um, and once again, not a lot of rainfall uh, expected um, from that shower activity. Uh, and then during Thursday, uh, the ridge of high pressure uh, will um, maintain really near the south coast and we'll, we'll see the showers uh, contract again once further just towards the south coast um, or by Thursday and during that day and, and uh, underneath that ridge we'll see some light winds and some fairly dry conditions so expect some frosty areas okay. through the in- inland parts um, during the morning period and very similar conditions on Friday as well. A cool start for mainly the eastern parts of the southwest land division and uh, some showers continuing, continuing along the south coast um, with that ridge maintaining through there. So another wet day ahead tomorrow, but generally a drying trend through Wednesday, Thursday, Friday before another cold front we're expecting to come through on Sunday. Okay, we'll keep our eyes on Sunday then by the sounds of things. What about in the north? Uh, well, pretty quiet uh, through the north, very typical weather um, for the uh, for the dry season with that ridge uh, developing through the central parts of the state. We'll, we'll start to see the winds pick up um, from the southeast through the Pilbara and the Kimberley on Thursday and Friday. The winds will be particularly strong on the Friday there and um, uh, we'll see a strong wind warning off the Pilbara coast uh, associated with those winds on Friday. Um, just in through the eastern half of the state, um, well, particularly near the Euclid coast, we'll see some shower activity uh, pretty much through Wednesday, Thursday and Friday with a bit of onshore flow uh, through there. Otherwise, the, the remaining parts um, of the, uh, the northern and eastern districts will be remaining, yeah, as I say, fairly dry and, and pretty typical uh, for this time of year. Any warnings for us? Yeah, we've got quite a raft of warnings out at the moment. Uh, There is a severe weather warning for the south coast and the adjacent inland parts um, associated with the the pretty squally westerly flow through there. So um, gusts to 100 kilometres an hour are still possible in showers and thunderstorms for those areas. Um, So that includes Albany and uh, Esperance along the south coast there. We've got a gale warning that extends from Cape Naturalist to Israelite Bay and um, outside of that region up towards uh, Durian Bay we have strong winds and then eastwards towards the SA border we've got strong winds through there as well. And we've also got a fire weather warning uh, through the Eucla with some fairly fresh northwesterly winds through there. That'll ease as we move through the, the evening period. Beautiful, Austin. Thank you so much for all that information. No worries, Joe. Thank you. 
Austin Watkins there at the Bureau. Now, um, Richard Hudson has been doing his warm-ups. He's got his water bottle ready and he's got a big list of rainfall to read through, which is lovely. I might make a cup of tea and leave you to it. (laughs) You'll be happy to know I actually had my nuts, which is a magnificent preparation for reading out the rainfall figures. How? (laughs) I ate them, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I I reckon you should start reading. (laughs) Up in the northern and eastern forecast districts, uh, nothing recorded in the Kimberley or the Pilbara, but in the Gascoigne region, Kerry Downs, 8 mils, Carnarvon, 6, Denham, 14, Marin 18, Mergoo 8, Shark Bay 16, Steep Point 29, Tamala 8, Useless Loop 9, Ewan had 10. In the interior, nothing. In the goldfields, the most was Norseman had 3. And nothing in the Eucla or out on the islands. But in the central west, Alanuka 16, Arena 19, Aradale 11, Badgingarra 28, Barberton 12 to 16, Bellandine 8, Berkshire Valley 14, Bindi Bindi North had 10 to 11, Binu 7, Balgarda 6, Canterbury 18, Chapman Hill 6, Coolangatta had 5 to 7. If I do a number of figures, it's because there's a number of rain gauges in that location. Just sort of set okay. that clear. Right. I know you get confused, Joe. Yeah, easily. Karoo, yeah. 6. Dandarigan West, 22. Dudawar, 16. Eniaba, 16. Eridu, 7 to 11. That's one of those ones. Arangi Springs, 6. Geraldton, that's your hometown, 13 to 18. Thank you. Gleneva, 5. Howarthara, 9. Durian Bay, 35. Calberry, 12. Carrara, 5. Lancelin Defence, 33. Latham, 6 to 7 mils. Minganew, 5 to 15. Moascar, 15. Mora, 15 as well. Mullawar, 6. Nabawar, 7. Nambung Station, 29. New Norcia, 22 to 35. Peringery, 6. Port Denison, 13. Riverside, 6. Sandsprings, 10. South Holmwood only had 3. Strawberry, 12. Tabletop, 9. Three Springs, 17 to 20. To Braddon, 8. Whalabing, 18. Wandana, 5. Waradagis, 20. Wotheroo, 15. Yandanooka, 11. Una, northeast, had 5. Uh, for the Lower West, Ancatel, 54. Bickley, 128. Bindoon, 25. Bolgart, Bin, 16. Bungendore, 68. Chidlow, 65. Dwelling up, 53. Gijigan up, 59. Jinjin, 23 to 43. Glen Eagle, 83. Huntley, 101. Jandicott, 41. Jaredale, 63 to 67. Julemar Forest, 39. Carnot, 68. Carrigallan North, 72. Lake Chittering, 39. Lancelin, 27 to 51. Mandurah, 33. Millenden, 65. Minston Park, 24. Mulyabini, 42. Moondar Brook, 25. Mount Solis, 63. Mushay, 56. Mundaring, 81. Pierce of the Raft Base, 51. Pinjarra, 35 to 37. Rolly Stone, 59. Serpentine, 40. Tamala Park, 47. 2J East, 23. Wanneroo, 46 to 50. Wanneroo, 45. Watning, 21. Werribee, 64. Whiteman Park, 58. And Woodridge Estate had 40. Bit to get through in the southwest as well. Acton Park, 32. Aldervale, 36. Bailing up, 29. Beetle up, 45. Boyne up north, 51. Bridgetown, 41. Brunswick Junction, 43 to 61. Bunbury, 37. Bustleton, 30. Cape Lewin, 20. Cape Naturalist, 26. Capel, 24 to 36. Carlotta, 45. 
Chapman Hill 24 to 42, Collie 59 to 61, Kawaram up 36, Darden up 42 to 57, Dinan up 16, Donnybrook 39 to 44. Doyle Road 30, Ferguson Valley Alert Station and the rest, uh, 29 to 36, a number of locations. Four Acres 26, Happy Valley Alert Station 46, Harvey 53, Hentybrook 54, Jarrowwood 17, Jindong 24, Carrydale 31, Kirrup had 41, Logebrook 69, he had a good game in the weekend as well, fullback. Ludlow 36, Manjum up 30, Margaret River 48, Mayan up south 24, Macalinden 44, Millian up 18, Mount Williams 68, Mile up 41, Nan up 56, Newbick up 26, Newlands 53, Northcliffe 31 to 35 mils, Payndale Alert Station 31, Pemberton 43, Quinnan up 42, Ravenscliff Alert Station 35, Rosabrook 71, Scott River 42, Shannon 36, Som Creek 39, Thompson Brook 47, Tonebridge 27, Vass 32, Woolpole Forestry 47, Warner Glen 37, Will Garrup 43, Willie Abrup 31, Windy Harbour 33, Witchcliffe 27 at the official rain gauge back in action, Ken nearby got 31, thanks Ken, Worsley Downs 50, Yanmar 33, Yungarillup 30, Yordamung Lake had 51 and Young, Hayden Young, he's going to be a champion. Um, southern Coastal Region, Albany 14 to 18 mils, Amal up 13, Bremer Bay 5, Den Barker 23, Denmark 21 to 25, Erinair 20, Esperance 10 to 11, Gardner 6, Noangrup GRDC 13, Hopeton 5 to 6 mils, Ingleborn 11, Jacob 13, Jeremungup 10 to 14, Kimberley 8, King River 22, Mount Barker 15, Munglin up 12 to 17, Narrick up west 13, Oakmarsh Farm 14, Ongar up north 7, Pleasant Valley 9, Ravensthorpe 11, Salmon Gums Research Station 7, Tamar 9, Talina Downs 12, The Duke 11 and Wellstead had 6. In the central wheat belts, Amory Acres 9, Ardath 14, Babakin 14 as well, Balladew 8, Belka East 17, Beverly 30 to 40 mils, that'll be welcome, Bungulla 19, Buntine West and Burrakin both had 7, Burrakopin 8 to 18, Kadu 5, Kalji 16, Kodjkodjan 10, Kudnupin 15, Kowkowing 5, Cunderdon 17, Dalwallanew 11, Doodlekine 9, Doongan Peak 12, Ajanding over the page, 13, Gibrock 22 to 4, Gamaling 26, Grabble, don't say anything, 9, Happy Valley had 14, Hines Hill 8, Kalani 5, Kellerberen 10 to 17, Condit 8, Conangoring 15, Long Forest 9, Meckering North 28, Meriden 9 to 14, you're still sniggering, aren't you? Monangarin no. 11, Moorine Rock 6, Mount Hardy 21, Mount Noddy 14, Mount Walker 20, Mount Westdale 35, Muresk 27, Nanginan 10, Narrambeen 18 to 27, Noongar 8, Northam 26 to 28, Nungarin 6, Quadney 26, Quereding 20, Redlands 37, Shackleton 10, Tamman 11 to 20, Telenning Hill 23, Training West 9, Whale had 19, 
Westonia 8, Wyalki 5, Wongan Hills 15 to 16, while Ketchum 10, Yangadine 21, Nattering 17, Yilgarn South 12, York 29 to 30, and Yuanmi Valley. Welcome to the rain gauge results. Had nine. Haven't had that one before. It's probably a typo, but we'll include it anyway. Okay. In the Great Southern Region, Amrista Park 16, Arthur River 22, Badgerbutt 15, Boddington North 32, Booralee 16, Boscobel 26, Brookton 30 to 32, Bullyeet 35, Chaming Up 7, Colorado 38, Quartering 51, Corrigan 31, Cranbrook 9, Cranham 7, Culford 41, Darken 29 to 30, Desert Fringe 25, Dragon Rocks 14, Dumble Young 9 to 10, Franklin 21 to 23, Glenrose 18, Highbury East 16, Holt Rock 14, Hyden 17 to 22, which is some good figures, Catanning 16 to 17, Cojanolican Hills 20, Cojanup 17, Condinan 30, Kurikan 31, Cookran 8, Coolan had 28 to 36 mils and got a text from Jargon saying, to your esteemed rainfall reader, your job is safe, dot, 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 for now, don't get too comfortable. Thanks, Jargon. Um, 28, uh, sorry, Quida had 37 mils, Lake Grace 15, uh, Lake King 19, Magenta Dam 20, Maradong 37, Mordetta 27, Mount Madden East 14, Narragin 16 to 20, Newdigate 18 to 20, Nyabing 11 to 16, Pingaring 24, Pingley 36 to 37, Pingrup 6 to 15, Poppininning 17, Quail Up 7, Riverdale 16, Wagen 22, Wandering 20, Wickerpin 13 to 28, Wilgarra 27, Williams 12 to 24, Yeelaring East 22. And that's it. <laughs> that's all we've got. <laughs> Whew, that was comprehensive. You've earned your keep today. Yeah. About yeah. time, but you know. You've done well. Before you go and tuck into any more nuts, Richard, just wondered if you had any mates that were cool enough to have a Monaro back in the day. Was that a thing? I know of one of two who've owned a Monaro, and I also know of some people who have maybe still got one, but they're not willing to let on that they still have one. Fair enough. Yeah. 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 But you never, you know, never went for a ride in one? Wasn't a thing for your vintage? No, I've never, I've never really been into cars, but uh, yeah. the Monaro, as it is, as it has been in the past and as it is today, is one that does catch my eye, yeah. yeah. I'm, not, I'm not a rev head, but I do quite <laughs> like the old Monaro. But if you're going to have a midlife crisis, yeah. it might involve a Monaro. Yeah. Yeah. There's a bit of talk at the moment that if you have a Monaro and you want to sell it, it might not be allowed to leave Australian soil. And that's come out over the weekend, but what I reckon might have put a bit of a spotlight on it was, do you remember a couple of weeks ago when uh, we found out that an Australian tractor was up for auction in the United States? Yeah, that was outrageous. And good to see they did a backflip on that too. Yeah, that was an old McDonald tractor. Someone bought it, I think, and mm. it's it's coming home. But it was really controversial at that time because um, 
there's the argument there that it's part of Australia's heritage, there's only a couple left and why on earth did it get to leave in the first place? But at the weekend, a 69HT Monaro, which if you're into them, Richard, you'd know that's a pretty good one. It went under the hammer over the weekend and the auctioneer was Lloyd's and they were told by a government department um, that the Monaro could become an Australian protected object, and which is an unusual term, but it basically means that you can't uh, flog it off overseas. And some of the rationale behind that argument is that the Monaro, while it's a, a significant part of Australian motorsport history, it unlocked Peter Brock and, you know, that whole Holden versus Ford rivalry, which you're writing to, Richard, mm. you were saying. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So whether or not this applies to all Monaros or just this restored 69HT, I don't know. But if you've got one sitting in the back shed, you know, it might be worth keeping an eye on those rules and um, whether or not it becomes an Australian protected object, you won't be able to sell it. It might make it harder to buy one too, Richard. Mm, that one you're referring to too. Don't want to blind you with science and get too technical, but it's mm-hmm. um, it's white. It's white. Yeah. It would have a stripe on it though, wouldn't it? Uh, possibly, yeah. That's about <laughs> as far as my motoring knowledge goes. <laughs> possibly. <laughs> Could be. <laughs> if you were wondering, you should take it a bit more seriously because... The bidding on that closed at 715000 Wow. And it was meant to get a million, so I don't actually know if it's sold. Mm. Mm. Anyway, thank you. Uh, your interest has been staggering. <laughs> 10 to 1. The WA Country Hour with Joe Prendergast on ABC Radio WA. Nice to have you on board this afternoon. Well-known Newdigate grain farmer Bill Hewitt has passed away at the age of 88. Now, Bill Hewitt achieved so much in his lifetime, which he dedicated to the whole farming industry. Lake King farmer Bob Ifler was a good friend of his, and he says they first met when Bill Hewitt was on the Australian Wheat Board. And Bob said it was during that era that Bill Hewitt managed to pull off something that was quite significant. Uh, Bill left the Australian Wheat Board in 1987 and about that, that year he also became a life member of the WA Farmers Federation that was called then PIA. Bill was, a, a, you know, as I say, a great advocate for the agricultural industry and in 1987 helped by a group of farmers in the Lakes area chaired a public meeting at Ravensthorpe. Well, I think there's about 200-odd people at that meeting and times are really tough because um, interest rates at that stage were around about low 20s and up to 28% interest farmers were paying. And, and at that time, the Rural Adjustment and Finance Corporation, RAFCOR, um, were uh, making out loans for farmers in difficult times. Those days, the new land farmers were really battling because they had to develop their land and had a lot of cost involved. So... Bill had this idea that rather than the RAFCOR lending the money, the capital, as well as the interest, and then subsidising the interest, it would be better if the banks were to lend the capital and the government subsidise interest. That's really where it all started from. You know, to, to get that to happen was a hell of a task. If we formed a group for new land farmers, then we had to make sure that the WA farmers, the PGA and Shire Councils, the Isolated Children's Association, CWA and so on, all were in favour of what we wanted to do. Now, we actually gained the support of all those organisations and then went on to the state government and then federal government to get this through. And within a few weeks of, of uh, putting it to the federal government, Simon Crean 
who was the Minister of Agriculture at the time, were able to, to get this interest subsidy going, which helped save a lot of farmers. Getting all those groups together, it's no easy feat still today. Was Bill a good people person or a good a negotiator? What made it work? Yeah, I guess he was a, a pretty happy sort of a person. Always had a greet you with a good smile, and and he was he wasn't a pushy person. One of his uh, thoughts were, look, you know, not everything the Farmers Federation and PGA always agree on, or so forth and so on. So let's just do the things that they do agree on, and so there's no conflict. That's the way sort of Bill worked, and so that he could ease his way through. And and uh, I guess I and quite a few others learned a lot from his his manner. Bill's family has said that, you know, they wanted you to say a few words about him. What is the thing that you think that people will remember him by? I think they'll remember him a lot by just the, his achievements, being on the Australian Wheat Board as one. Yeah, some of the older people remember that. The Rural Adjustment and Finance Corporation, The uh, he was also a rural councillor. And the work he's done in Nungarran is, and at the museum is, is unreal. Bill and I were very close friends. We worked together a lot. We had quite a lot of phone conversations even after he left Newtigate. And yeah, condolences certainly to the family and a great family of people who always listen to what other people have to say. And, and Bill was always a person who would probably listen more than, more than talk. I think he's just felt, you know, you learn a lot more from listening than you do talking. That's so true, isn't it? Let's uh, Lake King farmer Bob Ifler speaking there to Kit Mocken about his mate, Bill Hewitt, who passed away last Monday, aged 88. And Bob described him as a real statesman and an advocate for the whole farming industry. And Bill Hewitt was a rural councillor. And as Bob mentioned, later in life, he poured hours, hundreds of hours, into volunteering at the Nungarran Heritage Museum, painstakingly restoring tanks, jeeps and antique uh, machinery and bits and pieces. What a lovely legacy that will continue on for Bill. I believe his funeral will be this Friday at the Nungarran Cemetery. If you're wondering, that's about 280 k's east of Perth. Uh, That's where Bill was uh, living later in life and that funeral will be at 11am and our thoughts are with Bill Hewitt's family and his friends. Six to one. Well the National Wild Dog Action Plan has been extended for another 10 years. It was introduced back in 2014 and the plan was designed to create a more coordinated approach between governments, producers and researchers in managing wild dog populations. And that's important because it's estimated wild dogs cost the Australian economy about $90 million each year. Isabella Pittaway spoke to the chair of the National Wild Dog Management Committee, Jeff Power. It's basically the same plan and what it does is it reassures producers uh, that there's ongoing commitment from industry and government. So it is a continuation of the old plan? There are no changes? Uh, no changes, not really, but there's, um, you know, we've just got to understand what we've been able to achieve. You know, if you take, say, in South Australia here, we've, uh, we've, we've got the dog fence rebuild. Uh, the cluster fencing in Queensland's been uh, very extensive, and I just noticed that the Queensland government have just put out another $5 million, um, you know, to enhance that program. Of course, we've got the uh, the dog fence program also in WA where they've extended the uh, fence at Esperance. And so it's a continuation of what we've been doing. 
to achieve uh, wild dog control right across the breadth of the nation. From the achievements you've listed there, what has that meant in terms of uh, the numbers of livestock killed across Australia? Have we seen that number go down? Um, it's difficult. It's difficult to actually put a figure on that. Uh, but what what it has done, it's it's reassured producers and it encouraged producers uh, to go back into sheep and some areas goats. That's uh, the chair of the National Wild Dog Management Committee, Jeff Power. Interesting to keep an eye on that uh, management plan. I spoke to a couple of people this morning to get a WA perspective. They hadn't had a chance to read it yet. Uh, we'll keep an eye on that one. There was a cattle sale at Mushay this morning. Um, 1,922 head were yarded, up 600 on last week. John Testro, I believe it was mainly pastoral cattle on offer today. Yes, good afternoon, Joe. Uh, nearly 80% of the yarding were pastorals today. Quality eased, but uh, it remained strong throughout with values for local cattle, mainly 5 to 35 cents dearer. Cows were up 8 to 20 cents. Light and medium weight bulls to live export, 25 cents dearer. Grown steers and heifers, 20 to 35 cents dearer. In the pastoral section, young pastoral cattle were mainly 20 to 40 cents dearer, apart from the heavier end of the weaner and yearling heifers that ease 10 to 20 cents quality driven. I'll run through some uh, sections of the market for you if you like, Joe. In the local market, uh, weaner steers, 376 to 406 plus 20 cents. Weaner heifers, the better 272 to 384, down 40 cents on a poorer selection today. Yearling steers, 370 cents plus five, and uh, the yearling heifers, 324 to 358 plus 10. Grown steers, 354 cents, mainly up 20 cents. Grown heifers, 344 up 35 cents. In the cow market, uh, Light uh, and medium weights to feeders, 212 to 260, up 15 cents. Medium score 2, 238 to 258, plus 8. And the prime at 260 to 318, plus 20. In the bull market, light to live export, 248 to 348, up 25. As were the medium weights at 288 to 320. The heavies remain very firm at 270 to 308. The pastoral cattle, as I said before, they comprise the uh, main section of the market today. Pastoral weaner steers, 228 to 300, down 30 cents. Not many of these yard and a poor selection there. The weaner heifers lightweights, 146 to 274, plus 40 cents. However, the medium weights were down 20 cents at 210 to 262. Yearling steers... Uh, medium and heavies all up 30 cents, mainly from 266 to 370 cents. In the yearling heifers, lightweights uh, 182 to 274 plus 20. Medium weights, they eased at 208 to 258 and probably down 10 cents. Grown steers in the uh, pastoral cattle today, they gained 50 cents and sold to 336 cents. As I said uh, before, Joe, very strong sale. And for those looking for store cattle, Boyan Up's back on again this Friday with uh, near 1,400 weight cattle to be offered. That completes the market report for today, Joe. This has been John Testro for MLA's National Livestock Reporting Service and the ABC. 
He does it well, doesn't he? Thank you, John. Just running through the details of that cattle sale at Muche today. We were talking earlier about the uh, debate that's happening around where the new grains organisation, Grains Australia, should be based. And I text in from Rob who said, who decided we in WA need an organisation like Grains Australia? We've not been given any definitive ideas on how it will put money into WA growers' pockets. Uh, Only motherhood statements, but we will be contributing to most of the cost of running the organisation, we have to acknowledge that some consolidation might be needed, but it's being dictated by the East. News time, one o'clock. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.